0: Welcome to Mick Shots One-on-One, and I'm the Mick part of that Mick Shot, Mickey Spagnola. Uh, Glad to be with you guys here on DallasCowboys.com, and uh, this past week I saw a very interesting presentation on the uh, Black College Football Hall of Fame site. Uh, And they had a great presentation on uh, the impact of the historically black college and universities uh, over the years on not only the impact of players, but the amount of players that they supplied to the National Football League. And going through their Hall of Fame, uh, I found two guys that are joining us today to be able to talk about that presentation and their careers. Uh, at HBCU schools, uh, no better than my McShot's uh, partner, Everson Walls, who I, I, we haven't talked uh, on screen for quite some time. I miss you, Staggs. I miss you, man. Uh, I miss you and miss you do your deal. And also former Cowboys Pro Bowl linebacker Thomas Hollywood Henderson, and these two guys are members of that Black College Football Hall of Fame. Thomas, good to have you with us. Thank you.
1: Thank you. Good. Good to be seen, especially now.
0: It's good to just have somebody else to talk to other than my wife. I'm probably driving her crazy. right? So good to to have you guys here. And uh, Everson, uh, you you were well aware of the presentation uh, that the Black College uh, Football Hall of Fame uh, put on last week on on their website. Uh, I thought it was awfully interesting. And you even had a part in it uh had, had uh, some stuff to say uh, on your uh, experience there and, and working with Coach Rob. And so I just thought we'd start off and you guys kind of tell the story uh, of why you ended up at Grambling State and Thomas ended up at, at Langston, uh, you know, the, the HBCU schools back then. And, you know, if, if anybody's not familiar, uh, if you go back into the 60s um, and, and through some of the 70s, uh, there wasn't a lot of opportunities for black athletes to go uh, to colleges and universities other than maybe some that were in the north, but certainly not in the south. Uh, and Everson ended up uh, going to uh, Grambling State. I believe you got there 67, is that right? Yeah. Yeah, I wish I was that old.
2: 77. Sorry, <laughs> if I was that old, I probably would be dead by now because of right. but now listen. 77? Is that right? Yeah, it's 77. Yeah, that was mine. I, I uh, I graduated from Bergner High School in Richardson, and I had to go to that black college experience after growing up in Richardson. Uh, I, I think with, with what's going on now with the whole Black Lives Matter thing. I think it kind of just brings up uh, a whole new relevance of of what uh, I went through and and what most HBCU players went through. Uh, I'm sure Hollywood probably has even more strange stories being up in Oklahoma. But uh, coming from Richardson, uh, we were part of the suburbs here in Dallas. But the racism was still, uh, as understated as it was, it's still very prevalent uh, in our lives at that time, and I, I think this is just extremely uh, prevalent now with what's going on uh, in, in, in society. This, you know, this has put a whole new light to me on all HBCU athletes and why we ended up at HBCUs. Uh, you can, you know, talk about the way society was at that time, and well, and as you as you peel back the veil. Uh, you're still having these same problems. So I think that's what's so uh, universal about this. We're still having the same problems now that myself and Hollywood and Doug Williams and all those guys went through even back then, which is a sad part about it. But it also, uh, it it lends to uh, the fortitude and and strength that we had to keep on pushing as HBCU athletes.
0: Thomas, you ended up... Uh, you were from Texas, and you ended up uh, going, as uh, Everson pointed out, into Oklahoma uh, to Langston University, and I'm not sure I ever heard of Langston until I knew you went to college.
1: <laughs> yeah, I uh, I grew up in Austin, and uh, I went to live with my grandmother my junior year, and because Oklahoma and Texas are border states, I couldn't play football my junior year. If you moved to a state without your parents, exact. So... I, I end up 1971, finishing high school, met Barry Switzer at, at Douglas High School, and see, there was the Vietnam War, and being drafted was in 1971, I was 1A. Like, that's six weeks in Vietnam. So, I flunked geometry in Austin, and had to go to summer school to finish high school. so. Colleges weren't looking at me. I'll tell you a quick story. Wichita—I I don't can't remember which college it was. Wichita State, I think. Plane crash in 1970. Lost the whole football program. I write this long letter. I say, boy, now if I can make a football team, I can make that one because ain't nobody left. Mm-hmm. They sent me a dear John. Logic.
2: Great logic, Thomas. <laughs> they,
1: they sent me a dear John. Uh, no. You know, and I go, wow. So I really was a walk-on at Langston University, 1971. You know, as as history would have it, I get there on a Tuesday. The starting defensive end broke his ankle on Wednesday. I was starting at Kentucky State uh, up in Kentucky that Saturday. So uh, my career at Langston. But – you know, I didn't even know what an HBCU was in 1971. But I knew there was a college up there called Langston, and they had a football team, and I had made all city, honorable mention all state, so they, they let me walk on. And uh, my life has been bitter uh, because I went to an HBCU. Um, Barry Switzer always says he regrets not signing me. He signed a boy named Rod Schultz instead. Um, But And actually, my experience with HBCU was I sort of, at some point my junior year, I'm making all these All-America teams and all this stuff, but the scouts weren't coming. And so I said, I'm going to run track. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to run track. So I... You know, I, I got to tell you, this, I went to the Kansas Relays in 1973 and I won the Oklahoma Collegiate Conference 100 yard dash in 9 6. And I go to Kansas and I don't know if you remember the Pouncy Twins and some of these boys back in the day. SMU boys. So, the winning time was 9 2. Thomas Henderson came in dead last (laughs) with a (laughs) 9.5.
0: They pulled me a a tenth of a second. (laughs) What what size were you when you were running that?
1: 218,
0: 217, 63. That is huge for track. The typical track athlete.
1: (laughs) I triple jumped. I long jumped, and um, I'd have thrown the javelin if they'd give me one.
0: <laughs> so the track gave you some notoriety. Uh, people noticed. I you think. There.
1: Yeah, I think Gil Brandt and uh, 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 Tex and uh, the Rams were really high on me. Uh, they were going to take me the twenty fourth or I second. Can't remember which uh, which pick they had. Uh, Tank Younger scouted me, uh, legend himself.
2: Grandma Uh, State.
1: Yeah, and I, uh, you know, I do at Langston because there would be so few people. There'd be one scout, one tape measure, you know, (laughs) one starting line, one finish line, one guy. And I'd run my butt off that first first one, and I come up and he goes, I think something's wrong with my watch. I said, what's wrong? What what did you get? He's like, I got a full four, but I think my watch is broke. I said, well, I ain't going to run no more.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So i ran been full four, all the time. Everson, uh, your uh, experience at Grambling when you first got there, what was your impression you get uh, Coach Rob, Eddie Robinson, uh, as their head coach. And uh, how, how did that – what was your impression when you got to Grambling State?
2: I, I tell the story all the time. Uh, my mom uh, drove me there. Everybody knows my mom. She was a beautiful lady. And she was pretty, you know, hip, as they call it. You know, we're, we're driving a Corvette to Grambling State University. So <laughs> – Everyone on campus, when they first saw me and my mom in her car, they just thought we were rich. You know, which we surely were not growing up in Hamilton Park. And so uh, we ended up going there, and it was really a, a desperate cause. We were going there to see if I could sign on with this team. I had not been offered a scholarship. I had only been given an invitation to the spring football game. So if you haven't signed a player by the spring football game, most likely you're not going to that player's not going to get signed. So I was really going up there for a Hail Mary. Uh, my mom, you know, just pleaded with Coach Robinson and uh, we were able to get uh, that last scholarship that was available. So as much as people think I walk on, I walked in, I walked into Coach Rob's office and basically begged him to 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 give me an opportunity and uh, I, I'm pretty sure someone had reneged uh, on a scholarship because otherwise you just don't have scholarships like that laying around, especially at HBCUs at the time. And so I was able to get that last scholarship, and the opportunity came for me to uh, really indoctrinate myself into the system. So I went to summer school. Uh, I was all in, you know, that was it. Uh, if, if I don't get that scholarship, I don't know what happens to me, because I needed to go to college at that time. Things were just pretty tough in my neighborhood, pretty tough in the city of Dallas. Uh, I had had a history with the the law uh, at going through high school, so I did not want to revisit any of those issues when my mom was trying to use this opportunity for me to move on out of the situation I was in. By the grace of God, uh, Coach Robinson was very amenable. He understood what was going on. And typical Coach Robinson, he saw a family that needed help. Uh, he saw a mother that needed assistance with her son, and uh, he was there to lend a hand. And I, I think he could see that immediately when he walked into the office. I think the, I think the desperation on our face was probably pretty, pretty, pretty palpable because uh, he was
0: able to be uh, very nice to us and, and, and very accommodating. It, was it comforting for you to go to an HBCU at that time in your life to be oh, in yes. No doubt. That's a good question, Spag. I truly needed that.
2: Uh, my self-esteem was pretty low, which brings out anger in most kids. And I was, a, I was an angry young man, even going through grappling and, of course, playing for the Cowboys as well. Uh, I had an issue with uh, the people that uh, didn't agree with me. And uh, I needed the uh, HBCU atmosphere uh, to really give me a sense of self, uh, to, to, to learn about my people, and uh, to really have a lot of confidence in how I, I felt about myself as a person. And by the time I left Grammy State University, I think I was fully armored with uh, all the tools that I need from a,
0: a social standpoint and, and economically as well. Hollywood, for you, so you, you said you started there in 71, uh, and I pardon for asking, but when you were in high school in Austin, uh, were the schools already integrated there?
1: Uh, no. Uh, they integrated in, I think, 70. I had went to uh, school, uh, junior high school, at the University of Texas, a little junior high called University Junior High. We integrated it in 1966. Um, Langston didn't have uh, scholarships. Uh, I told them my mother made a dollar an hour, and they said, well, you you good for the Pell Grant? So I went to my HBCU four years on financial aid. Of course, you know, I never had to pay anything, but uh, scholarships really came along later. I think for the black athlete, the Pell Grants uh, were a lifesaver for HBCUs because you didn't have to pay that back. And so being an All-America, you know, I made All-Conference my sophomore year, made All-America my junior year, uh, uh, made four or five All-Americas my senior year, and I, I knew guys on scholarship, but I was doing a lot better <laughs> because I got access to some money,
2: you know. <laughs> I remember oh, you had to spend the change.
1: <laughs> oh, and look at—they gave me a check one day. They stuck—they stuck a check through the little thing at the, at the student thing, and it was thirteen hundred dollars, and my name was on it. She put it through there. I took it and ran. I cashed that check. <laughs> so the, the next semester, I come up there get the check. They said, "No, you come in here. You ain't stealing this check." <laughs> No, but, but the experience uh, with the fraternities and the brotherhood, the bands, the camaraderie with other guys, crazy people, you name, you know, I name people, and this nickname, Stay With Them Forever, you know.
2: Uh, I'm so sure you would, came up with a few yourself. <laughs>
1: Oh, man, I I, uh, I have to tell you all one story at Langston uh, when I, I sort of knew I was pretty good, but we had a thing called bull in the ring. And that means a player gets in the middle of this and they put 50 guys around you in a circle. And the coach would call any number, you know, 12, 15. So I was lighting people up. I mean, jacking them up when they came out there running at me. And finally, nobody would come. The coach would say, 15, nobody would come. 20. <laughs> Everybody had a number that wouldn't come. <laughs> so a lot of fun times um, uh, playing at Langston University. Um, yeah, I, I wouldn't change any uh, part of my my college experience. The relationships, the friendships that are still go- ongoing, I, I'm i still friends with, uh, you know, all the guys I played with. Um, Same
2: here, Thomas. Same here, buddy. So,
1: so it's, a, it's a pretty, it's a family affair uh, when you go to an HBCU. And so, so people many, find uh, me on Facebook all the time, and I don't know who the hell they are. Then they remind me of something. <laughs> go ahead. Go ahead,
0: <laughs> I was going to say, I was just going to give everybody some uh, uh, historical reference to back so thomas and i are basically the same age i started college in 71 so we were in high school at the same time Uh, i grew up in the suburbs of chicago uh i didn't know anything about segregation uh i went to a high school of about i don't know four thousand twenty-five 25 percent uh of the school was uh african-american uh so i just thought that's that was life right And so I'll I'll tell and I knew better, but I'm going to give you a story of how naive I was. Uh, I was working at the newspaper in Jackson, Mississippi, and this would have been mm, roughly 40 years ago. And we were doing these neat stories going into these little towns and doing a story on an athlete from there, uh, along with the town's history. And so and I cannot remember the guy's name, but he uh, he was a, uh, a defensive player in high school and he ended up going to michigan state uh doherty at that time and thomas might might remember this uh he was he was coming into the south in mississippi and recruiting the black athletes because they couldn't go to the schools in state you know lsu alabama mississippi mississippi states not not available to them right and so I'm doing the interview, and this guy telling me in high school all the awards he got and how good he was. And dumb me goes, you mean to tell me you were that good? And so he's coming out of high school in about 67, 66, right? And I go, you were that good, and like old Miss and Mississippi State didn't offer you a scholarship? <laughs> he looked at me, and he goes, son, he goes, where did you grow up? And about that time, I wanted to just crawl into the ground because I knew what I had just done. He goes, "Those opportunities for people like me weren't available at that time," and and yeah. that's the truth, because those schools really didn't integrate to the late '60s, early '70s, for sure. You know, As 70s. you
2: as you, as you, as, you listen, as you listen to what Hollywood was talking about and, and his career at Langston, you still had different levels of HBCUs. You know, as you can tell from from what uh, Hollywood was talking about, Langston didn't have many resources at all. As much as you've got Hollywood there and I'm sure some other great athletes that were there, I was blessed enough to go to to really the, 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 the uh, pinnacle of HBCUs, especially when it came to football. Uh, Grambling, as much as we were known as this, this rich institution at the time, Grambling's home home stadium only held 3,000 people. And that that went on until uh, until the Eddie Robinson Stadium was built. So we're talking about maybe around 2,000. That went on until around 2,000. So if you're going to play a game at Grambling, they don't even have the facilities there to where you can set up a, a, a televised game. So all of our games, uh, and, and to me, by the grace of God, all of our games were on the road. We had eight road games a year. Eight. And every time we went on the road, we would play other teams in the biggest stadium in that state. So if we go to play Jackson State or Alcorn, then we're going to play where Ole Miss plays. We're going to play in their stadium. Uh, If we're going to go to Houston, we're not going to play at Prairie View or we're not going to play at Texas Southern. We're going to play in the Astrodome at the time. And so... That's what really uh, helped me in regards to my growth as a person, being able to travel uh, to all these different places. uh, The standards that Coach Robinson uh, put upon us as we traveled and how we were to represent ourselves and our university, uh, suits and ties everywhere you go. Uh, Don't be, don't step out of line. You know, we're representing Grambling. It was all about representing our institution. And when you're doing that eight times a year, as well as your homework and and this vow that he made to our parents that he's going to graduate, you're going to graduate your sons. Uh, It was a a type of responsibility that I had never been uh, had to adhere to ever uh, in my life. Those kind of responsibilities, that kind of activity, and that kind of uh, 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 adhering to, those kind of things uh, was something new for me. And it really, it forces you. Uh, when you go to an HBCU, it forces you to grow up and be more responsible, not just to yourself, but to, to your, let's just be real, to your race
0: and to your school. When when you guys, your your football schedule, did you only play HBCU schools or did you play some colleges that were already integrated?
2: It depended. Uh, on, on, on. I remember my rookie year, uh, I, I was so mad. I did not, I made every trip uh my freshman year couldn't believe it uh, i made every trip except for when uh, doug williams and the guys went to uh china <laughs> and played <laughs> temple <laughs> they went to china and played temple and they left me at home man i was so hot you know because i mean i'm a kid from hamilton park i got a chance to go to china and if i'm not mistaken it, with two days to go, they made up their mind that I could not make the trip. So they probably gave my trip up to some professor or something that Coach Rob, <laughs> Coach <laughs> Rob knew and probably a neighbor mm-hmm. of Coach Robinson's. But now I had to stay home and, and cry
0: on my girlfriend's shoulder. How about you, uh, Hollywood? Uh, did you, only, you were in AIA at that time, was that right? Yeah, the- but the- we,
1: were, we were in the Oklahoma Collegiate Conference. So we okay. played, we played Northeastern, Northwestern. We played Cameron. We played Central State. So we we played Panhandle, and um, and uh, so there was it was if if you were to rate uh, our game in 1971, 72, 73, we were like high school 6 A. <laughs> <laughs> i mean you know we we had a motley crew man at langston but i wouldn't i wouldn't trade any of that uh several guys gerard williams kenneth Payne, played in the nfl that played with me they were a year ahead of me and and i got to play against them one was with the skins one was with the green bay um but my experience at langston um i worked in the Oil fields in the off season. I would go to Louisiana, Dulac, Venice, um, Morgan City, and I work on oil rigs uh, for the summer of 72 and 73. And I was making like $500 a week, you know, working 12 hour shifts and going in, you know, I was you know, on a drilling rig and and so I would come back to Oklahoma and buy me a piece of a car. You know, I'd buy a Cadillac, <laughs> you know. I'd buy some some big piece of, you know, nothing. Um, but I wouldn't trade the experience of, uh, of the life on an HBCU campus for anything. Um, uh, you know, uh, integration came when it came. Um, I even think that I was part of the uh, population of Dallas. To, I integrated Dallas. I went everywhere in Dallas. I mean, I went to places I wasn't supposed to go in Dallas. Yeah, we know Hollywood, yeah. <laughs> and
0: I, I'd walk in and sit down like, what? What? Hey and, and the reason I asked that question, so uh, that presentation on, on the uh, Black College Football Hall of Fame, it was called Black College Football, the Road to Equality. And they had an interview with Deacon Jones, uh, and uh, he was given a speech, and it might have been his acceptance speech, into the Black College Hall of Fame, right? And he was talking about, you know, and this is back in, he's in college in around 61, I guess, and, uh, and you know, he was HBCU, and and basically all they played was other HBCU schools, and and his quote was, he said, I had to get to the pros to hit a white guy. Yeah.
1: He's <laughs> yeah.
0: me up, right? Like, that, you know he what? About it, he's right.
1: You know, that Deacon Jones talk is the greatest talk I've ever heard about race.
2: That's true, Hollywood.
1: Every, That's- every time they play it, it is the deepest, you know, he integrated football like no one. I mean, you know, Dick Night Train Lane, who also went to my high school in Austin, uh, integrated to the Rams and Detroit uh, but I don't think there's been a better spoken African American on the experience of equality and you know when he says I had to get all the way to the NFL to hit a white guy without getting arrested
2: without getting arrested that's what he said
1: <laughs> <laughs> you know you, you should play that That is that's very powerful and I'm I'm very, very honored to be in, in in the Black College Football Hall of Fame. As I say to my friends, I, you know, I have to make up stuff. I go, I'm in the NFL Hall of Fame.
0: I just came through the kitchen. <laughs> <laughs> well, guess what? At, at part of this presentation that I learned, and Everson knows this, The so the Black College Football Hall of Fame is in Atlanta, but they're moving it to Canton, Ohio. Yes. It's going to be a part of the uh, Pro Football Hall of Fame campus area. And yes. they're doing it there. So you've, you've moved through the kitchen. Well, uh, they've,
1: they've already the moved. Place. They already have a display in there. Yeah, and, right. And I talked to Too and made him laugh. I said, yep, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm in the Hall of Fame. I can't <laughs> go to the kitchen, but I'm in the hall.
0: <laughs> well, you know, and the Cowboys, I mean, so – Got two guys right here in the Hall of Fame, Black College Hall of Fame, along with Tuke Tall, uh, Jethro Pugh, uh, uh, Rayfield Wright, Bob Hayes, uh, and I didn't know this one, Timmy Newsom, Winston Yes. yes. And then uh, in 2020, the induction class, Eric Williams, uh, yes. has just been selected. Yes. Uh, so the Cowboys, you know, and they've had. Uh, other guys that, uh, went Dexter, to California. Dexter, Klingscale. Dexter Dexter uh, South Carolina state, right. Kathleen King also oh. South Carolina state. Right. And yes. you know, Vince Norman was one of the first guys. Uh, uh, it was what J.C. Smith college in, in uh, Charlotte, North Carolina. Uh, so that's, there, one of the oldest, that's one of the oldest black colleges in the country. Right. Right. Yes. And you know, and he told me some great stories when he got here and, uh, the, the whole lunch counter thing when Gil was going to take them to lunch after they got here and they wouldn't let him in. And, uh, and, 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 and got Jethro Pugh was, was another guy uh, that uh, had gone to an HBCU. So there was a Cowboys uh, recruited, or I should say drafted well, or had guys walk in uh, for, to, to be on the team. And uh, I was, uh, yeah, I was uh, surprised. The other thing I was surprised and I, uh, Hollywood. I had told, uh, uh, Everson, about this. Well, there was other guys. You mentioned uh, Dexter Kling Scales, Jimmy Smith, Jackson State. Remember, uh, Mark Washington. Pettis, I said Pettis North. State University. Mark Washington. Yeah, yeah. Kenny, uh, Kenny Gant. Jason Hatcher went to Grambling. Grambling State. That's right. Mike Hegman. Uh, I mentioned. Mike Hegman, H- 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 H-
2: Tennessee State H- 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 tall so,
0: What Florida A and M? Right. Uh, so, yeah, the, the Cowboys have been very familiar bringing But what I didn't uh, realize was all the very prominent players in the NFL that had gone to HBCUs that I, I, I didn't realize, guys like uh, Charlie Joyner and Leroy Kelly and Greg I remember, say, and yeah. Art Shell. I, I had no idea until I saw that and started going through the list. of I think, I think Art went to Virginia Union. Was it Virginia? It was. Maryland Eastern Eastern Shore. Shore. That's right. So when you guys went to those schools, did you know that there were other prominent NFL players already that had gone to HBCUs?
2: Yes. I had no idea. I was from Dallas, man. All I knew, being from the suburbs of Dallas, all I knew was Cowboys. And even my father went to Prairie View for one year before he had to drop out. But, And he was the first in his family to go to to college, period. So, no, there was some things I – there was a lot, a a whole lot I did not know about. But what I did come to find out was all those HBCU players that came to the Cowboys, every last one of them was underpaid. (laughs) You can say what you want. The plantation mentality was still there, even though we got opportunities. That we would never give back. Uh, I'm sure Hollywood loved playing for the Cowboys. To play for the Cowboys, America's team was amazing. But let's be real Gil Brandt is in the Hall of Fame right now because he was able to find cheap labor. (laughs) (laughs) That's all it is to it. Let's just be real. He knew that we were cheap and he knew we were talented. And so he was able, and, and as we went through all our careers, I don't know, probably every HBCU player had to hold out during negotiations at least once under well I,
1: well, I, I actually got paid because I was the number one draft choice.
2: <laughs> <laughs> oh, sorry, I was just a free agent, my bad. I'm speaking for the free agents.
1: <laughs> and and then uh, uh, Landry uh, st- named me for the starting lineup and I held him up. I mean I I robbed him. Uh <laughs> <laughs> Gil, Gil didn't know what to do and I just, I bought a house I made him buy me a house and they give me another signing bonus and so we didn't make a lot but I, as a number one pick, uh, I was able to make a living um, and I'm you know, still grateful that uh, they picked me. Landry uh, is still shaking his head on why he let them pick me Um uh, <laughs> But it was an honor and a privilege to be a cowboy.
2: I have to tell you a story. When Hollywood was talking about going places in Dallas that he never should have been, <laughs> I'm sitting in my own living room, in my mom's house. I'm still at Grammy State University. And I look up, I'm talking to my girlfriend on the phone. I look up and Hollywood is standing in my doorway. <laughs> I had never met Hollywood in my life. And he's in Hamilton Park, in my house, calling some girl in my neighborhood. <laughs> How he ended up in my house to this day, I will never know. So, yes, he's gone places that will surprise the heck out of you. But no one was more surprised to see him standing in my living room trying to call some girl so he can go visit her in my neighborhood.
0: Hollywood, tell him why. <laughs> uh,
2: I mean, I, let me tell you what I did. To the,
1: Hamilton Park was... The closest I couldn't go to South Dallas. I lived in North Dallas, uh, but I have to tell you what I did for the Cowboys. So it's uh, 70, maybe 77. Uh, I go into the shower thing, and uh, there was this Brillo, Brillo, whatever it was for white hair. You know, put on, put, you know, make, make my hair hard. And so I uh, knew about glycerin. Glycerin is what put the jerry curl in your hair. You know, when I had hair, but, you know, make your hair shine, you know. So I, I went to the Cowboy locker room and raised hell. I said, I want some Afro combs, some ice, some, some cake, 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 cake picks, and I want some glycerin in here. And Buck Buchanan went down to Hamilton Park and bought us a bunch of
2: glycerin. So I integrated the hair for the Dallas Cowboys. <laughs> Hey, and and you know what? It's it's so crazy, Spax. When you think about the locker room itself, it was an entity of its own. Not only did you have to integrate the hair products, as Hollywood was talking about. From what I hear, Gene Fugit came in and tried to integrate the music in the locker room. (laughs) No, the music was all country music, (laughs) and you know when when you I, I would imagine when you're in there every day, all day. After a while, it's just white noise. Nobody really cares about what the music is. But as soon as Gene Fugit went in with different types of music, went in with the R&B music, the pop music, jazz, blues, he had it all because he was a DJ at uh, North Texas State University called Flight Time from 9 to midnight. I used to listen to him every night when I was 14, 15 years old. So he tried to integrate the locker room, in regards to just music. And from what I hear, it was an undertaking as if it was a march on the, the Pedway Bridge in Birmingham. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it was that serious to where all of a sudden he goes in, he starts changing the music, and all the white guys go crazy. Hey, who's changing the music? Well, we're going to listen to that music. We want to listen to some other music. No, we, so, uh, from what I hear, now, I wasn't I wasn't there at the time, but I heard the story that they had to have this big power out about integrating music. So you talk about, you know, being a microcosm of society. The locker room itself was always a microcosm of society.
0: You know, one of the other things they pointed out on that uh, the road to equality, uh, it, 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 they pointed out the quality of the players that had gone to the HBCU Uh And they pointed out that, you know, at one point, uh, Walter Payton was the all-time leading rusher, HBCU, right, Jackson State. Uh, Jerry Rice, the all-time leader still in receptions and touchdowns, HBCU, Mississippi uh, Valley State. They mentioned Deacon Jones being the greatest defensive end. And then Michael Strahan, which I had forgotten, had gone to Texas Southern, I believe, and (laughs) single-season record for sacks. Uh, and they were just talking about the quality of, of players that came through, and it wasn't just, you know, and, and, and I and I think to think that yeah, I'm you know,
2: a guy from Grambling State that led the league in interceptions three times as well.
0: Right, <laughs> I heard about this guy. I heard about this guy. You didn't mention your name in that list of players. You, know? mm-hmm. you, have, to have, you have to have your own section, right, to get your get your name out there, right? <laughs> but but it, and, and so it, it 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 appeared to me listening to these guys talk that they, they all kind of made their own presentation, not only were they great athletes, but it, they 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 sounded like they matured going to those schools and became uh prominent people in society also it wasn't just in athletics, and a lot of them were saying, well, this is what raised me, this is why I got where. Uh, I ended up getting.
1: Yeah, Um, you know, I uh, came into the Cowboys from an HBCU, and we were, we were flashy, we were show-offs, we were, we talked crap, we talked defiance,
2: defiance. Yes,
1: you know, and so um, Tom Landry, being conservative, military background, Texas background. Um, he and I, you know, you know we, we, and I, I had no fear. I had no sense. I, matter of fact, I didn't have enough sense to have any fear. Um, I just loved to play football. I didn't, I hated the politics and I hated the racism. It, it, the, the racism was like, it was so thick you could cut it uh, during my time as a Dallas Cowboy. In the, there, there were there were there were us and them and it just ain't no way to describe it um, and and i fought against it i raised hell more times than anybody knows and uh, um, we won concessions we won some equality in the dallas cowboy locker room not because it was me being crazy it was because Raphael was watching and Jethro was watching and Tutal was watching and Dick, I mean, Gregory was watching and, and Benny Barnes was watching and Mel noticed. And, and, and so I sort of, you know, made myself the target, but, uh, I like to think that as, Crazy as one may think, my life was. I played some quality football for the Dallas Cowboys.
2: Yes, you did. And
1: in and and in that locker room, uh, I made a difference. All I wanted was respect. I, you know, I didn't like Jerry Tubbs coming up like this close to my face, talking to me. I push him. You know, I don't. You don't. Ditka. I had to break. I hit him. I hit him. (laughs) I hit him on the sideline and he never came up to me again. I said, don't, don't do that. Don't, don't do that.
0: You don't come right here. You might have COVID. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, one of the, one of the funny stories on that presentation, the load to equality, uh, Robert Brazil, you know, I guess he played for Houston. Uh, if I remember right. I, play, I played with him. You did.
1: Yeah. yeah when and, I, I was on oiler for a little while.
0: For a little while and he was talking about uh he had got invited to play in the east west shrine game which i guess it was in san francisco maybe back then and he was talking about getting uh coming off uh, an elevator and it was a black man on an elevator and he said the next thing he knew there was a gun at his head like what are you doing there and somebody with the shrine game said well no wait a minute he's one of our players and he said, if somebody hadn't spoken up for me because I was a black man in the 60s on an elevator, uh, I was in trouble. And and I, I think a lot of those those stories probably get lost because people just assume this is 40, 50 years later or oh, everything was uh, just fine. And um, Everson, you reminded me, and I was listening to it, uh, James Harris, quarterback, from, from, he basically broke the color line uh, for quarterbacks. Uh, And I think one of the people were telling the stories about him coming out of Grambling and they were uh, obviously no black quarterbacks in the NFL back then. And it was like, well, we're going to look at you as a wide receiver or a defensive back. And I I think, uh, I don't know if he said it was Eddie Robinson or whoever basically told the scout, he's a quarterback. Don't look at him as anything else. And, uh, I think you were at least familiar with him uh, having gone to Grambling State.
2: Well, yeah, they they, they called him Shaq. So it was James Shaq Harris. I don't know why they called him Shaq, but that name is with him to this day. Uh, I talked to him the other day. He tells a story of, of course, when he gets to Buffalo, if I'm not mistaken, because he's drafted Buffalo first. And, uh, of course, they, they immediately try to put him at tight end. And so he tells a story of, you know, they asked him to run a 40-yard dash. And and you know if he would have run that 40 yard dash at a decent time, the way he really could have, then he probably would have been been placed at the tight end position. He said he ran the slowest 40 yard dash you could ever <laughs> run without making it, without making it look too obvious. You know, so it was. Uh, these are the kind of things that, you know, they just become part of our psyche. You know, and Hollywood talks about how what he had to go through with the Cowboys pretty much sounds like my career as well. Uh, as soon as I got there, Gene Stallings um, first drill. Gene Stallings curses me out. Not just curses me out; he calls me a boy to my face, and that's that's been documented. You can find that video out there on YouTube anywhere. And these are the kind of things that you know you you want to react to, but you really can't because you know that your career is on the line, and so it it it, it messes with you and it stays with you as well to where you you uh, have to take that. It wasn't just about a coach versus player. He would not have called a white player a boy if he would have gotten in his face. It just wouldn't be that type of reaction. So what you saw was you saw what, what was really going on in the league, and you saw what you had to deal with. That anger stayed with me uh, throughout my entire career, and it became I became kind of like, like Thomas, that locker room lawyer, as they call him. Uh, and and as, as much as I was mad about, you know, what, however the whites treated us, I was able to uh, channel that, that uh, locker room lawyer attitude, not just for the blacks, but I also tried to, to champion for whites as well. If you had a negotiation problem with the Cowboys, which was, that was rampant, like, like Corona itself uh, with the Cowboy locker room, you were always going to have a negotiation problem. Even Randy White had to hold out for the Cowboys, bags. I don't know if you were there then. but I was.
0: That was my first year, I
2: believe. It, if, right? if you recall, we all had our 54 towels on. We had 54 written somewhere on our uniforms because we wanted to show that it wasn't just a black-white thing. It's a cowboy thing. And that's what we tried to have permeate throughout the entire locker room. But that was on the heels of how management really treated, I thought, treated the HBCU players throughout my entire career there. So being that locker room lawyer, as much as you might be fighting a champion for the cause, that's a great deal. But it's going gonna, it's gonna to happen to you like it happened to Hollywood and myself. They're going to ship you out of there. You're not going to be in that locker room for your whole career. Just the way it is.
1: I, I, Since you mentioned Randy White, uh, people don't know this story, but in seventy-seven, uh, which would have been my third year as a cowboy, Randy White and I competed for the starting position at strong side linebacker. And we went through all the training camp and and I was, you know, I was clowning him. You know, I'm at that covering the tight end. And I said, that's how you do it, Randy. You look too big, homie. You look tight. You look tight. You can't so 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 this is Landry. So Obviously, I beat him out. I beat Randy White out. They put him in tackle. But they wanted him to play the strong side linebacker. So instead of Landry giving me my victory, and I still hold a resentment about this, he said to me, okay, now you and Hegman are going to compete for the job. (laughs) And when I beat Hegman out, Jerry Tubbs comes to me in the locker room and just whispered to me, he said it was real close <laughs> I mean, it just couldn't give me the benefit of the doubt. you know, I'm a pro bowler I'm an all pro I don't give a damn who voted otherwise. I was a great player, and you can't take that away from me, not quietly, not with a whisper. I am great, you can't take mine
0: even. Been- uh you were talking about negotiations even roger had a hard time getting a new time. and i don't know if this happened uh after when you got there or was early 70s but he he'll tell the story about how he was trying to get in to talk with tex about his contract and uh they they kept stalling and he was waiting in the, the in the old tower right out the central Uh, and his administrative assistant, yeah, Tex will be with you. And he said, I waited and waited and waited, and finally it was like, all right, I know what's going on. And evidently there was kind of a ledge, uh, kind of a walkway outside the window. It was like seven stories high or whatever. And he climbed out the window and jumped in front of Tex, who was sitting on his desk with his feet up, and all of a sudden, he sees his quarterback out on the left seven stories high. <laughs> I said, you get in? He goes, you're damn right I got it." <laughs>
1: yeah, I, um, I, uh, I, I got paid. I Finally, um, my, my second contract with the Cowboys, uh, I got a house out of it, some money, and double my salary, you know, become a starter. I, I, I wasn't going to play that first game. After they named me the starter, I had power, and I went into Gill, and said, this is what I want. And they gave it to me.
0: And, uh, I, I thought Danny White had a funny story about negotiation. So when you were there, Danny ended up being the punter, right, Hollywood? Yeah, yeah. Backup quarterback. Backup quarterback. But he was the punter the whole time. And then when he became the starter in 80, he, he, they kept him as the punter. Right. And so he said the next year he went to Gill and said, Gil, you know, he you goes, know, you think I get a little extra? So you know, I'm the starting quarterback, but I'm also punting. Mm. And Gill would tell him, well, Don't worry, you're, you're not going to punt. He goes, We'll find another punter. And he, then I punted. He said, This went on for like two two years. And so he said, The third year I went in and I said, Look, I'm still the quarterback and I'm still punting. And he goes, Yeah, he'd probably have to talk to Tom about that. <laughs> He goes in and lays his case out to Landry, right? And he, Landry looked at him and they go and he said, You know, Danny, most players in this league, boy, the more they can do for the team, the better. And they're glad to do it. And he goes, I had nothing to come back. I just went out the door and gave up. <laughs>
2: yeah, they, you know, the, the cowboys man, the cowboy I call him a three headed monster between Tex, Tom and Gil. They had their act together, man. They knew how to work you over. You know, they knew the words to say. By the time I came along, man, they were they were adept at, you know, kind of stalling in negotiations and things of that nature. They became very prolific at trying yeah. to get the most out of you for the least amount of money.
1: I have to tell you, one, I got one good Go story. I got one good story. I never had the chance to play against Grambling. I really wanted to. And uh, so I was a rookie with the Dallas Cowboys. And I looked up and Langston was on Grambling schedule. And so I went to bed that night and I woke up that morning, I called my my coach at Langston. I go, How'd it go? How'd it go? He said, Well, he said we
2: kicked off and all hell broke loose. <laughs> Maybe hey, the hey, sixty-eight or nothing or something. I was in that game. I was in that game. I got an interception that game, at Hollywood. Yeah, you guys were like the preview of HBCU. You know, what, they were like six A, five A. Yeah, you got like five A. Yeah, five A. Yeah. We love. We we had a good time going up there. Uh, I, I must say, uh, the Langston fans were amazing. They were cheering for us, Hollywood. I don't know if you heard, but they cheered for us. They didn't cheer for you guys. Yeah, we were. We went eleven
1: and zero in '73, and so that was sort of the greatest season uh, in Langston's history. So, uh, I claim I'm pretty close—about uh, 54 sacks my junior year. 54
2: sacks.
1: 54 sacks. One year. You mean in one year? One year. All, all my tackles. I'm not
0: your junior year, but you mean one year? Yeah, one year. <laughs> Anybody else make any tackles? Oh, yeah. Oh,
1: yeah. Oh, yeah. But they just, they just, I had two jobs at Langston, contain and go. And so the contain was first and go. So I was everywhere. I was in the secondary. I was
0: everywhere. When I was, uh, when I was working at the newspaper in Jackson, Mississippi, so we obviously covered the SWAC with all the, the school, the HBCU schools in, in Mississippi, and I had just left to come to Dallas, but they were getting ready to have this huge game, uh, unbeaten Mississippi Valley State against unbeaten Elkhorn State. I don't know if you guys remember this. Uh, they they ended up, they were supposed to play the game at, at Elkhorn. And they ended up saying, no, it was too popular. They ended up playing at uh, Mississippi Memorial Stadium. That's right, Sold it out, 63,000 people. Yes yes and, and the the station in jackson actually the day before finally got the uh okay to televise the game so that would have been willie totten and jerry rice at, at valley state uh that was coached by archie cooley uh whose nickname was the gunslinger right so this is, the, this is 84. <laughs> and then uh at, at alcorn it was marino casim and he was known as the godfather so the paper i was working for they wanted to promote the game and, and it was like during the week, so they had the gunslinger and the godfather. They they showed profiles of each guy. And you couldn't do this today, right? It's so politically incorrect, <laughs> probably. And they each had, had a pistol in their hand, and they were like blowing the end of the gun, facing <laughs> each other. <laughs> um, trust me, those coaches probably loved doing
2: that. They didn't
0: see anything. Oh, anything for – Oh anything to, to get some publicity, right? That's true. That's and, true. And Elkhorn ended up winning the game uh forty two twenty-eight and you'll get a kick out of this. The guy that made the interception for Elkhorn to seal the game, I Colt. Wow. wow. Isaac Holt. He ended up <laughs> playing for the Cowboys. He was oh, yeah. first walker trade. Yeah. Uh, but it was it was huge and 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 then I, I, I understood the you know the value uh, of those games and those institutions, those coaches were great. They were just wonderful.
2: I, I have to say, Spags, I, I have played in many what we call classics, and uh, that was that was the norm. We sold out everywhere. Uh, Yankee Stadium. You can go back and look at the the James Shaq Harris game versus uh, uh, I think it was Morgan State at the time. Uh, they were, I, I read it in a book that they had maybe four, uh, HBCU Hall of Famers in that game and probably four NFL Hall of Famers ended up coming from that game back in 1969. James Jack Harris tells the story and Hollywood would love this. You know, we're all country boys. They were all country boys that had never been on a plane before back in 68, 69. And so these guys, you know, Rob has them wearing suits. They're probably hot. The suits are probably too too small because they probably never wore them. So they get on a plane, and these guys have never flown before. As the plane, <laughs> as the plane takes off, these big guys are trying to find a way to roll the window down. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, man, but that's classic, you know it's classic, you know, HBCU players back in '69. Yeah. You know, they're, they're groundbreakers. But, of course, we had to do it in a comical fashion. Shaq Harris has some of the best stories that you ever want to hear. And to me, that's one of the better ones. But it allowed us as as uh, uh, young men uh, to really develop mentally and physically, to grow up and to be, uh, uh, you know, uh, citizens of the United States in, in a good way to where, uh, you know, we tried to contribute as much as we could, more than just being on the field. I mean, that's pretty much the moniker of... of Everyone that I know that went to an HBCU, they made a difference not just before they went to Grambling,
0: but continued to make a difference after we left left our HBCUs. One of the big contributors to the Black College Hall of Football Hall of Fame is Doug Williams. And you would have crossed paths with him at Grambling one year? I, mean, I, was, I was there when he was going for the Heisman. I saw it all. It was like, it was like watching Michael Jordan in cleats. That's how good he was. And then he yeah. ends up being the first uh, – Black quarterback to win a Super Bowl. Did you ever get to play against him from Hollywood?
1: I didn't. No.
0: No, I'm old. You're old. <laughs> that's right. I didn't know how, if he had gotten there early enough. But, yeah, he you wouldn't have crossed paths. But did you understand how good he was? He's a big contributor to the Hall of Fame, too, by the way. Uh, did you realize how good he was, uh, Everson? I mean, you said the black Michael. Oh, there's no doubt about it. I actually played against Doug a couple of times in the pros,
2: and I, I man it took me a lot to try to keep him from trying to toast me because he was coming at me big time. Uh, I have some you know how it is. You have some of your better games against some of your former teammates, but you know that was that was as important. Doug's senior year, going for the Heisman was as important to HBCUs as Tank Younger uh, being drafted by the Rams way back in the day. Uh, that's just how impactful it was on, on everything that uh, HBCU players did after that. And then as it, it even continued as he went to the Super Bowl. You know, he was such an, an oddity to, to, uh, to all of the reporters there, even after playing over, what, nine, ten years in the league, you have these crazy questions at press conferences, asking him how long has he been a black college, has he been a black quarterback? You know, they didn't know what to ask him uh, at the press conference and things of that nature. And when you look at, at not just Shaq's story, because Shaq and Doug to me are, are go hand in hand in regards to bringing uh, the notoriety to HBCUs. But if you look at what Doug and Shaq had to go through from being HBCUs. I don't know how they still have their sanity because that would have really, it would have been something that would still be eating away at me even more than it is today. And if you meet these two men, and I'm sure you have, uh, Spags, you would, you can, you can see, uh, you can just see the royalty in, in what they're doing. You can see how not only are they understated, but they're still very ambitious in regards to what HBCUs deserve. That's why, we have that, that that so small exhibition there at HB at uh, the Hall of Fame right now in Canton, but it's only going to be bigger. It's going to be around I think 30 plus thousand square feet or something of that nature. Right now, <laughs> right now, it's no bigger than my den. Okay, that's what it looks like right now. Yeah. But it's going to be amazing when it's finished, and that's simply because uh, Mr. Baker with the Hall of Fame and Shaq and Doug have all been in in unison in regards to bringing more notoriety to HBCU players.
1: I also want to to mention that I got a great education at my HBCU. Uh, I had to stay eligible. I had to have a certain grade point average, and I'm here to report, I am a college graduate from Langston University, and I have an honorary doctorate from Langston University. Well, that's because I gave him a lot of money.
2: <laughs> <laughs> hey, anyway you can get it, baby. Anyway, you can get it. <laughs> I
0: can tell you what, guys, I think uh, on that note, uh, with those two comments, uh, I just want to thank you very much. And I want to encourage the people that have listened to us or to go to the Black College Football Hall of Fame and, and check out uh, the presentation on the Road to Equality and just go through and see the guys that have been inducted. Uh, I think I saw in that college uh, football hall of fame, 31 of those inductees had been HBCU uh, athletes. Uh, it, it, it's really enlightening, especially in this uh, day and age. So uh, I want to thank you guys greatly. I know we've taken up your time, but uh, the stories were great. Uh, and I hope that that gives everybody some sort of context to history and, and what's gone through, and how far football has come. and It's probably not all the way there yet, but uh, the NFL has made a lot of progress since probably 1960. So, Hollywood, thanks very much for just. Everson, we'll get going on mixed shots here. A couple of weeks, hopefully, uh, when the Cowboys crank things up, uh, get everybody tested and uh, in the building safely, right? So we'll get back going on DallasCowboys.com. Uh, I'm Mickey Spagnola, and that's mixed shots one-on-one. See you guys.